Welcome and thanks for listening. My name is Christian Buckley, founder and CEO of Collab Talk, and you're listening to the Collab Talk podcast. This episode was recorded in January 2019 from a virtual keynote presented at the SharePoint Saturday Virginia Beach event on the topic of how personality and culture determine collaboration success. The video is available on YouTube and the slides are available through slideshare.net. Excellent. So this is a, so I've done a, a variation of parts of this in different presentations. I did a session in Copenhagen in November for the European SharePoint conference. Uh, and I, so I'm kind of expanding on this one piece because it's interesting. I had most discussion the, the rest of the day after my session in Copenhagen on this specific topic and recorded a couple interviews and videos and things, which will be going live later this month as well. Uh, but on personality and culture and how that impacts collaboration success. And so I'm going to start things out um, and talk about what we all know is the no duh statement. You know, communication can be really complex. And if you uh, don't think it's complex, then you obviously have not had teenagers. Um, the, the other problem is that getting people to change, when you've found something that's broken, when you've found something that is ineffective getting people to change and getting that well uh, getting people to change is easy getting it to stick is hard and i think that's what a lot of people have found you go and deploy a new platform no matter what it is we saw this in the life of sharepoint but it's true with any application uh you know any any work process is that uh initially you've got that high adoption everybody loves it and then a week later dramatic drop off and people go back to the way that they used to do things. And that's, that's just that problem with change. So what are the, what are the secrets to change? Is it about, Hey, we found magically the right tool. Is it that we, we trained everybody and uh, you, we, we went through and we did our checklist of, okay, everybody's been informed about this. Um, do, do we, do we say a lot of prayers you know, uh, to, to, to get people to, uh, uh, be consistent in their usage of these things. No, what you have to do is you have to affect behavior. You have to get people to uh, to to change their daily habits, and that can be incredibly hard. And and something that is uh, so I'll go back to really in my career. This is over 25 years ago. I worked for a company. Uh, some of you may remember EDS. So that was Ross Perot's old company. Uh, EDS was uh, a couple new experiences for me. It was uh, my first day on the job. I show up uh, and I, I knew that they wore um, jackets and ties. Um, and so I, I, I showed up wearing a sports coat, slacks, dress slacks, and a, uh, and a tie. And my manager said, saw me and came right to me and she says, well, I'm not going to send you home today because it's your first day. And I kind of chuckle thinking she was joking. She wasn't. Uh, she's like, we wear suits. Uh, and, and so we, we wear sports coats on casual day. Uh, and so that was a big change for me. Now, of course, getting the paycheck, it was really easy for me to conform to that standard uh, when uh, it was whether I could keep my job or not. Um, but that experience at EDS, uh, the team that I was on, we went and we did this exercise. And maybe some of you have done it where we did brain mapping 
And I know that there's variations on that. I'm going to cover another one uh, here in a minute. But we did this brain mapping where we, it was this personality test. And, and I thought, you know, what are, what are we doing? I've, I've done this. It's in Cosmo magazine. I, I, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a Libra. I mean, what, what else do you need to know kind of things? Like, no, no, no. This is there's actual science behind this. What was interesting was that we were, went to an offsite. And the entire team came together and this uh, vendor had uh, put a grid on the ground uh, and basically put us all on there based on our personality profiles as brain mapping technique. What was interesting here is my young early 20s self is that I instantly recognized the people that I got along with the best were the people who were standing right around me on the grid. And the people, especially one person in particular that I could not stand was the exact opposite on this brain map. It was fascinating. It was enlightening. Now, we didn't go into much, like, there were some insights and takeaways from that and kind of, uh, yeah. and like a lot of those kinds of group activities, team activities, the next day, it's like that day never happened. You know, everybody forgot, but it kind of stuck with me. Um, now, when I, I worked for a couple other companies that have done other variations of this, Hewlett Packard did a version of this. Uh, when I was at Microsoft, though, they partnered with a company called Insights that has a version of, again, it's all based on like the Myers-Briggs personality types, which are based on, if you've done any, that kind of research, uh, psychology, sociology on the Freudian personality types. And the, the basic, you don't have to buy into all of that. Um, there, look, the reality is whether, whether you agree with the personality type, like the Freudian personality types, they're all very negative. Like no one's going to admit that, oh yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a highly evolved psychotic personality type, but that's a personality type, you know? Um, and there's the narcissist, there's kind of all those things. Um, but the, so Myers-Briggs is, is much more business friendly language around that. Uh, but the basic idea is that we are a mixture of all of those things and we lead with one or two, uh, but we have a mixture of all of them. And so Microsoft really prescribed to, and I think they still do this. I don't know if there's any Microsoft people that are, you know, that are there in the audience that can, you know, yeah, say if they yeah. still do this. But Susan, you have one of these, don't you? The little colored bricks. Did you ever do this? Nope. No, uh, no, I did something like it when I was there, but I didn't get the bricks. Okay. Tom, did you? I mean, there's some other softies. Nope. Nope. Yeah. Okay. So, so I, I mean, we did it, uh, you know, two different teams, two different times. My colored bricks came out in the same order. So I actually, I looked for them. I couldn't find them I, you know, since my moves last, uh, ended last summer. Um, but my colors are yellow, red, green, blue. And uh, it, what was, it was not about, uh, you, it was, uh, it was about understanding how you fit within the, the organization and how your personality style, what you lead with, how that personality style gets along with the other personality styles. And it was, so again, this, to, to go into a half day workshop or a full day workshop, to go through this personality analysis, and then very quickly towards the end, do some teamwork to figure out, you know, how do we as a team of 10 people, you know, get along kind of things. It's, it was very rushed and, and to do it justice. I mean, it really does take time. It takes effort 
to, uh, to, to, to kind of understand yourself and then how your profile works with other profiles. And so here you've probably seen the, the personality types, the different things that are out there. What's fascinating about how Insights does this and similar programs, again, it's it, it, like I'm an, uh, 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 you know, an e, what am I, an, uh, um, the uh, Ian, uh, I'm trying to remember, ENFP, I believe, but um, the, uh, which is not on here, but is the, um, so I'm the yellow in insights is the outgoing. It's the, in fact, the next one, next slide shows you this. Uh, it's the sunshine. Yeah, it's the personally involved expressive. It's, it's the people that are, you know, a lot of the theater people, the background, the creatives, that side of things um, where red is like, let's go, let's put the project plan together. Drivers, salespeople, Blue is analytical, it's the data, it's, the, it's that side of it, let's go back and analyze this. Well, the, the, the green is the, do you need a hug, are you okay? Uh, it's support people, that, that side of things. So I am uh, yellow, red, green, blue, and it, it's, I'm, I'm like 82 on a scale to 100, it's 82 yellow, 78 red, like 45 green, and like 20 blue. And so my approach is like, let's collaborate together. Let's go get it done while we're collaborating. And uh, you know, everybody okay with that? And we'll hire somebody to do the data. That's my personality. Uh, and, and so what's, what's fascinating about this and going through this exercise, and it was really the second time that I went through this exercise and where I had my direct reports. And I'm looking out at the time I had, I don't know, 10 to 12 direct reports and working with my director, uh, and I really started to see that uh, it's not, you know, like understanding my personality style and understanding each of my, uh, my direct reports and my peers and my manager, their styles, I would then go in and look at the guidance on when you're a personality type A, trying to work with personality type A, these are the things that work the best. When you're trying to work with somebody that's a personality B, here are things that you should change. And I almost felt like I was uh, uh, like hacking the system with a difficult director in our organization. And I found out his personality style and I started using these tactics. I'm like, man, if I'm, I'm dead, if he actually read any of this material. The beauty of that was his personality type, there's no way, no chance he was ever gonna go read that stuff. He would never put any effort into this, this kind of thinking. And so it was perfect. I was able just to literally textbook use uh, some of the guidance on how to get things done with that difficult personality type. And it worked and I was blown away. And so I, I did more, I actually went through a program uh, and did for a year and, and did training with a group called Pathwise. It's another Microsoft certified uh, uh, company, training company there. So I, why am I starting on this topic in group dynamics? And if you've not done something like that, look, there's free online tools that are out there. The, 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 it's, it's difficult to go and do one of those things, as I joked in the beginning, like reading through Cosmo magazine and doing some surveys. Um, because what, the, what you'll lack then is the ability to go and have someone who is an expert in this to 
talk to you about the second part, which is then the, the, the relationships with team members and how your style best works with the others. And that's the guidance that, you know, where you're really paying for the services for vendors like that. But why I'm bringing this up is because, again, it's, it's most of the issues that we run into, and we, we know this inherently. If, if you don't know this inherently, believe me, this is true, is that most of the problems that we have with deploying technology have nothing to do with the technology. It has everything to do with the people and the culture of the organization. We talk a lot about finding the right cultural fit for technology. Now, it's, you've got to be careful with that phrase, and especially if you're mindful of like diversity and inclusion, cultural fit doesn't have anything to do with the diversity and inclusion side of things. It's, it's, it's not about creating an echo chamber of, of people. I, I guess it does have a lot to do with DNI, but it's, my, my point here is that uh, for, for the technology, it's not about that side of things, but it's about finding, okay, what is the overall style and the, the culture, the way that work gets done and finding that fit. Uh, and, but you do need to understand that corporate culture. You do need to understand um, you know, the, the personality breakdown as best you can if you're going to be successful in a deployment, uh, you know, uh, onboarding of any technology. Because if, if people are you know, stuck in this rut and they're not willing to change and they have these certain habits, the more you can adapt what you're trying to do around your collaboration to the style, the cultural fit of the organization today, the more lasting that change. And, and this, the best way to, to explain this is that it's like the ripping off the Band-Aid method of changing everything that everybody does, uh, you know, so it's all new, doesn't work. It should be this organic, you know, gradual system. And I'll get into, you know, kind of the how of that. Um, having change management, and I'll come back to that point again, is essential to that. So it, success really does hinge on the culture and finding that fit. Now, your collaboration needs are also going to be complex, and it's increasingly complex. And then Microsoft has some great slides out there that I like reusing here about, you know, what does it look like for the customers? Look, there's, they don't have a strategy. They've got a, a blend of new technology, the good enough or the legacy platforms that are out there, all the back-end things. They've got all of these other services. We're all in the same scenario. And I always liken it to that there is not a single company out there these days. And if, if you believe your company, this is true with your company, I'll just tell you you're wrong, but is that there's no company that uh, only adheres to, it only uses one OEM, one company's technology. Like we're all Microsoft and we only use Microsoft technology. There's no Google or Apple technology. Like, right, then you don't talk to your end users because it's all over the place. It's called shadow IT. It's there. Uh, and so it's just something that you need to uh, recognize and, and react to the right way. Uh, I always look at that when you find people using unauthorized, unapproved systems, if you're in IT, it's not about going and reprimanding those individuals so much as it's about understanding why they're not doing that. Is it because they have not been trained properly? Is it, are they not aware of what's out there? Is it that they have needs that your platform is not meeting? They could have valid reasons for going around IT 
to, to use these other systems. And part of it could, again, come back to that culture. It's what they are used to. They've, they've worked that way for years. And it's hard just to go and do the Band-Aid rip and then expect it to be successful. And so we've got these multiple products. We have all of these increasing demands. And there's all of these other, we need to stay on top of the technology and take advantage of the technology. And the problem is when you don't have a good change management model, when you don't have that culture of change, then it makes it difficult then as you're identifying new technology, new opportunities, new ways to be more effective and efficient, you're not gonna be able to deploy those and get the real value out of it. Now we hear this question a lot. Okay, hey, we, Microsoft has all of these different things out there and which tool do we use and when? And there's, uh, there's a lot of content out there around this. I hate that question. It's the wrong question. It's the wrong way to look at it. It's because you're, again, you're looking at it from the technology standpoint. Uh, you know, I'd say, okay, what, first question, what are your end users trying to do? When you think about this, you know, even any kind of diagram of the stack, I mean, the problem with this is the Skype for business is going away, it's gone. Okay, that's, that piece is not there. That's now all inside of Teams. You don't want to recommend that stuff anyway, although they're already there, but you know, groups, we're not really using it in that way. This is an old diagram. There's a lot of new things that are out there. But we have, the, the problem is too many options actually decrease productivity. Um, I, I always uh, like to reference, I used to have a picture for a similar slide where I had from Seinfeld, the soup Nazi. You know, you got like three flavors of soup. What do you want? You don't make up your mind to, to spend too much. Like, no soup for you. Out of line. Move back. Uh but we need to look at it, approach it from, okay, what are the use cases? What are people actually trying to do? I'd say like in a, in a good, better, best scenario, this is like the better. The good is, hey, we've got all these, things, all these tools available and people will kind of find their way. Um, the better is, no, we're gonna go through and identify the use cases and, and have like best practices around these common use cases. You know, the, the best would be, well, no, we actually go through and provide detailed guidance on more complex scenarios and, and pilot those things. And I'll, that, that's kind of where I'm going with this. But there's, again, tons of content that's out there. Microsoft is getting much better about providing these kinds of tools, these kinds of helps, um, actually providing templates and guidelines for going and piloting the, the various technologies that they're coming out with. Uh, and so that's something that if you go and, and, and look for that, you'll find that. Now, you've probably seen a version of this. I, I've made some modifications to it of the inner loop, outer loop. Some people are not a fan of, of that, you know, the language around this. It was introduced a couple of years back. Uh, I think it was, uh, it was an excellent uh, a description of, uh, to help further the conversation of trying to identify what are the right scenarios, the right culture, the right type of collaboration, what we're trying to accomplish. So for those that aren't familiar with this, I'd say show of hands, but I can't see you, so that's all right. <laughs> um, but you have then the, the inner loop. And the idea here, the way that I describe this in Teams, look, I, I, I launched my company January two years ago. Uh, from day one, uh, I've been using Teams. I have part-time employees. I partner with grad students for uh, these research projects and we, I, I add everybody into Teams and we use this to track all the conversations, all of our meetings, now the videos get captured and the transcriptions are all there. But 
my, you know, the way that I think about this, now I've got a small company that may not work when you've got 10,000 employees, but where the inner loop works is that like, it's an event team. Um, you know, Susan and her organizing committee are putting together Sherpert Saturday, Virginia beach teams is actually a great place. If everybody's on the tenant in that environment to go in and work on that, where it's an end date, this event, this, that we're working towards a lot of, fast-paced activities. Does everybody in the company need to be part of it, that conversation? No, it's just the team that's putting it together. Or a technical support team where there's an actual ticket where you can pull in and invite anybody into. Maybe you have your uh, a support uh, a team and then you have a channel, it could be a single ticket. And you pull in the people, you know, anybody can go in there and maybe everybody in the company has access to that team for support but only the people that are in there active on the channel are, are you know, part of that conversation to solve that issue. And then when you're done, you archive the, the assets from that and you can remove that you know, ticket as an active channel. Um, it could be a project manager that's organizing a virtual team to collaborate on an initiative. Again, this is the inner loop is we have a specific action. There's an end date. There's a problem to solve. It's a project team. It, it doesn't mean that it has to you know, uh, end in three days. It could go on for three years. But again, it's not supposed to be you know, all 10,000 employees. The scope of this is the people that are the key stakeholders and participants on this effort. That's that inner loop and where teams fit. On the outer loop, on the other side of that, Yammer is a great fit for that. That's where like, if you have a formal ideation process where you know, somebody, an executive in the company saying, hey, we want to create this new, you know, this new thing, whatever it is, we're looking for input from anybody. They don't know where the ideas are going to come from. Uh, it could be that they're looking for expertise outside of their working team. Uh, it, it, there's a lot of different ways that you can use this. Honestly, I use Yammer extensively as a on-the-fly uh, uh, extranet solution because I can within you know three minutes two minutes uh, create a site that I can invite via email ten people from ten companies and start collaborating it's perfect for that kind of scenario so again when you've got external people I, I'll tell you I'm not a huge fan of the external user capabilities within teams it's very limiting there's some features in there. There's things that you can do and can't do, which make no sense. But the Yammer in this scenario has been fantastic. But as you're going, and here's a great example. Former company, uh, we got acquired, uh, and we're, we're part of this uh, all-hands meeting. And, uh, and sitting in the meeting was kind of a half-day, like four or five-hour long thing. And, and people are... are pushing email around and asking questions and there's four different locations that are on live feed for this thing. And I'm, I, I open up Yammer. I find that nobody from the company has been in Yammer in a year. Uh, I go and I create a, a group for, uh, for that meeting and, and then I push it out to the entire company. Hey, if you've got questions in real time, ask them here, let's pull it. But we were also creating the knowledge assets, which we can pull up later. Interesting enough, about eight months later, we bought another company. We went through a similar exercise and had another meeting. And even before I went in, I saw that people had already gone in, found that old discussion, 
started surfacing threads and answers to questions that the new employees were asking the last group asked and resurfacing those knowledge assets. And so it's really valuable there in that outer loop. And then I use this phrase, the ubiquitous loop. It's the things that are always there. You know, SharePoint, OneDrive, and, and, and Outlook. There are scenarios where, uh, you know, the right way to communicate, don't overcomplicate it, send an email. Other times it's, look, I send a link in OneDrive. I, I'm really trying to not send attachments and instead send a link to the OneDrive uh, now and, and just get out of breaking that habit. Um, but you have different tools for different scenarios, different needs there, where SharePoint and, and you know OneDrive, OneDrive for Business is SharePoint under the covers. Uh, very soon you're seeing the, the, all the back end of, of files uh, for Yammer. It's all SharePoint so that you can still be compliant, you can still have all your security, all those things in place. Um, and so you have groups that tie together all these different pieces, graph and security across the board with all these things. How does that translate into Microsoft solutions? Look, it, it, it's the $5 answer, it depends. There's a lot of pieces out there. We've got the communication sites, of course, hub sites that pull all those things together. You've got Exchange and Outlook, Teams, uh, you've got Yammer, you've got OneDrive, you have all these different options. What's the right one to use? Sometimes the right solution is SharePoint, sometimes it's SharePoint and Teams, sometimes it's two different SharePoint sites and Teams, sometimes it's Teams in the front end with SharePoint in the back end, but we're also using Yammer, or maybe in OneDrive, or maybe all of those things, plus we've stood some things up on Azure uh, because we're going and doing some things on Power BI and whatever that is. The, the idea here is that it's infinitely complex based on the needs there. And so to focus on the technology makes no sense. Understanding the needs of the business and the culture of the people that are collaborating is where you need to focus your time. So, you know, the secret of change is about adapting that change, getting it to stick, um, because without it, your effort's gonna fail because people are like water running downhill. They will follow the path of least resistance. And so you have to, and that's why you have to be strategic about how you roll things out, how you onboard people, uh, and, and how you reach that destination too. If you go in and dictate, you must now use these tools without providing that path, without providing the guidance, without, uh, you know, uh, uh, nurturing people along, uh, they'll rebel from that. It's just, you're guaranteed. Uh, and so we, we focus on processes, but number one technology then we then process and we often forget people, which are the number one uh, uh, way to, to be successful with collaboration is get people on board. Because you could have outmoded ancient technology and have happy, productive people. You can't have the latest technology and unhappy people and be successful. It just, it doesn't happen. Um, really quick, I know that we're, we're kind of at the, the time here. I just want to share a quick story here. I'll, I'll abbreviate it. I'm um, talking about lasting change. And here's an example uh, from my life. And uh, so there I was working at an organization. I won't say who it was Microsoft. Uh, and uh, my, uh, so I was having a difficult time, owned all the SharePoint environments. My team was a shared services team. So I had engineers, analysts, project managers. And so we, we worked across a number of different organizations and my people were being pulled in so many different directions and strong personalities all around. Uh, the, the organization. 
what I did is I went and didn't ask permission, just went and did it, is I went and, and uh, uh, purchased a whiteboard and I stuck it in the hallway right off the elevator where the majority of our uh, 100 people organization kind of walked through. And I had eight, 10 people at that time. And I instituted a, a morning stand-up meeting, 9 a.m., mandatory. Um, people, some people were working from home one day a week. They were really upset that, that I made this mandatory. But it, it, we had to have everyone there. And that meeting could be sometimes five minutes. The other times it could be 30 minutes. Um, but what was beautiful at that time is that people were still walking in in the morning and we're standing there. They're having to walk through us. That was intentional. We wanted it to be out in the open. Uh, and, but what we did is we did this, it's a, just an agile scrum method as we said, okay, what are all the projects we have that we've committed to that have dates on it that, you know, people are working on. Okay. We put them on the board, we put them in order of priority. Um, and at the top were the requests that came directly from our VP. Uh, but we had the, the, the priorities there. And then we went through and made some decisions about them, uh, and said, okay, here we, this is not working. We need to shuffle what people are working on to get these other things done. And then throughout the day, as people came and asked, we had the project, the owner, the ETA on those. As people asked and put in new requests, we wrote them over in, on the side, on the right side, uh, you know, for new requests that came in, which we discussed the next morning. And I, I made it clear to my people that uh, you're not authorized to accept any new work. You are not authorized to deviate from the plan of record, period. If somebody has a problem with it, if they get angry at you, point them to me and uh, had some difficult discussions. And uh, this one difficult personality that I mentioned earlier, um, he was uh, very difficult. It was, it was great. The conversation, I walked over to the board and I said, all right, your project here, number five, nobody working on it. Cause I pulled them all off working on the top four. First project, that's our VP Anna's. Do you think your project is more important than Anna's? Well, no. Second one, also Anna's. Do you think your request is more important than this one, no. All right, the third one, do you think it's, you know, so he, basically he agreed that his was number five, that we had made the right prioritization. I said, all right, do you have additional funds or people that I can manage on your behalf to get this done now? Well, no. Like, all right, you're next on the list. Uh, and he understood and I'm like went and complained, complained, and I come back, here's our methodology, this is what we're doing. What happened was over the next couple of weeks, once my people, understood this they started relaxing they're like this is great i don't feel like i'm being throttled by every direction we have process they put trust in the process that we had gone through evaluated prioritized all those things but what also happened and it took about a month but all of the other people managers all of the other you know, like they all started to trust the process that it worked some of them went and said, well, I'm going to go kind of start my own team to go and do this. Like, hey, more power to you. Go hire somebody. You could have just given me those funds and I would have done it, but you went and did it and wanted to do it your way. Great. And they actually, that difficult guy that I mentioned, uh, got beat up about going and hiring an IT person, a consultant, rather than working with my team and just funding my team. But, you know, it was it's one thing when I say it, it's another thing when the VP criticizes him for doing it. So I was okay with that result. Um, but why that scenario worked, and the funny thing about it, I should just back really quick, is that we had everything, we were doing this, we had all of our reports in SharePoint, we pushed out uh, we, we, the link to SharePoint, people were not going and accessing 
the reports and people say, I need an update. It's like, it's in the SharePoint report. Well, I don't know where that is. It's linked off the intranet page. It's in the emails that we sent out. So then we started crafting emails to difficult managers on a weekly basis or more often. And that's part of the frustration of my team is that they were, a lot of project managers will understand this, constantly pushing out updates when all people needed to do was log in and look at the dashboard. Um, so at the end of this process, my director said to me, um, I think this is all fantastic. Kudos to you and your team for doing this. The only thing I would change is I would move all of this into SharePoint so that it was all visible. And I just kind of smiled and said, that's a great idea. <laughs> and later that day, I'm like, here's the link. We've done it. And it was the, just a link to what was already there. We did nothing new. Um, but it worked because we made the process. We made all of our activities transparent. Um, we kept going. We persisted through the stormy times at the beginning. Um, everyone had a voice. A lot of people complained. My people, uh, our internal customers. But we then, was people understood the process and that they could come and add to the board, um, that you know, people were comfortable. They, again, they understood. They conformed to that. And we constantly revised the priorities based on what's happening and then communicated out the, the changes. And it goes back to that culture. I understood the culture of the organization. I understood that it, what this organization required was strongman tactics. It wouldn't work everywhere. Uh, I tried it later. It didn't work the other time, but it worked in this scenario. I knew why it didn't work the next time. Um, and, and so you really need to create a culture with change, prepare people for that change. And the key, of course, is to experiment. And this is my last slide here. How do you experiment? This is where it's really uh, about going through. And, and now if you can take a like step A before this and do, if you're able to go in through and do like the personality profiles, that side of it, have that additional information to inform you on how to approach this number one of identifying and the styles around that. It is so beneficial if you can do that. But, uh, you know, typically it's the standard answer. You know, uh, who are the stakeholders? Who are the champions? Who are the users out there? What are they doing? Then identify those business scenarios and real projects. Don't go pilot on throwaway non-problems. You'll never find success and have a successful pilot and get people to buy in if you're not solving actual problems in your organization. So take real projects and pilot those. Uh, and then, then run those pilots. It ha should have an end date, refine that. Do, do the, uh, we don't do enough of the, these uh, end of project uh, uh, you know, reviews, the post-mortems. Um, so that's something that you go in there and do. Don't do a pilot once. Multiple, learn from it, fold that, the learnings back in and then from that, once you're ready to launch that, then design and be thoughtful about an actual campaign for people to, be, to adopt and to become engaged and to stay engaged and monitor and manage that and adjust as you see people reacting to that. Um, so uh, some other guidance here, internal awareness campaigns, self-help, training information, um, define feedback mechanism and make sure that that is transparent. Make sure people see that it, it changes. They can't, it's the old idea of I put a suggestion in the suggestion box and never heard anything ever again. That cannot happen. 
and then have those success measures based on what you learn from the pilots on what's our adoption rate? What does this actually look like? What are the key materials? What are the, what needs to happen 30 days in? Um, you know, what additional training needs to happen ongoing? All those things should be thought out as part of that uh, onboarding process. I'm also a huge uh, advocate for identifying those champions. It doesn't mean that it's in their title. Find the people that get it, that, uh, you know, that grab hold of it early on and become passionate about them because they become your best advocates and they can actually help the rest of your end users get through possibly you know, difficult decisions or, you know, as the uh, platform rolls out as the technology is deployed. Have that, that feedback method, of course. Always measure and share your successes and then adjust as needed uh, and, and realize that change is not, okay, we've done this and we've now changed. We're a changed organization. No, it's, it's like Deming says, it's, you know, uh, you know, optimize the system. It's an operational activity. It's ongoing. It's forever, people. It's forever because it's always changing. Uh, I know it's a lot to jam pack into now What 38 minutes. So apologies for going over Susan, but thanks a yeah, lot. And of course, Johnny a beer. he's waiting to like hook up here. Yeah, no worries. So I'll you know, hand off there. I don't know if there's any questions, anything else that uh, you'd like, but can you hear me, I can hear yeah, barely. Everybody yell and say thank you to Christian. Bye. You've been listening to the Collab Talk podcast. You can find us online at collabtalk.com as well as on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.